Hey, folks, before we get started here, uh, I wanted you to take a minute and check out our main page, thefedorachronicles.com, and I want you to check out our incredible sponsors, Trinity Whip Company, Landry Artifacts, and Chester Cordite. These people provide incredible products and incredible services that um, just have to be seen to believe, and they have been gracious and generous enough to help support the fedora chronicles radio show and all the other things that we do so please be sure to do yourself and them a favor and check them out this is the fedora chronicles network This is the Fedora Chronicles Radio Show number 68. I'm Eric Render King Fisk. This time, John Pike and I welcome author and helicopter pilot Casey Zeal to talk about retrofuturism, diesel punks, and classic World War II movies, and of course, her upcoming book, Minds of Men. The three of us then talk in depth about strong women in SF and fantasy. John and I then wrap up the show by talking about. The Diesel Punk Podcast and the Fedora Chronicles Radio Show might be coming to a convention near you. Don't forget to check out Casey via our show page. Go to thefedorachronicles.com, click radio in the menu, and then click the link to episode 68 for all of her details. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. You know, right now, Eric, we've got a special guest that I we know. need to introduce to our listeners. A lovely, charming young lady, talented author, and diesel punk aficionado that I met at Dragon Con. The lovely and talented Miss Casey Ezel is with us tonight. Hello. Thank you so much for those kind words. Well, they're the absolute truth. And, um, you know, I was, I was super pleased to meet Casey at Dragon Con. Casey was one of the panelists on um, a panel that I uh, attended. And uh, I, was, I was really excited about this panel. It was the uh, More Than Gears Beyond Steampunk. Basically, uh, it was focused on Neopulp and diesel punk literature. And um, I was so relieved, one, that, that Dragon Con was doing a diesel punk panel on their alt history track, but even more delighted that the real subject matter expert on the panel was, was a, a just beautiful, captivating young woman. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> and I'm going to get a and, head. Thank you. <laughs> well, and as I learned, Eric, yeah. during the course of the panel, not only was she a looker, she's a tough as nails, badass helicopter pilot, active military. I mean, how cool is that, right? I, I mean, for me, it was just like um, she sounds like she needs to be have her own. Um, 
movie franchise. I mean, move <laughs> over Black Widow. We got the real thing here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I met Casey. I fell head over heels in love with her and uh, loved hearing her talk about diesel punk with, with the same kind of passion that you and I have. Yeah. And what was so fantastic, Casey, is that you told a story about how you got into diesel punk. And it was a, it was a story that is very familiar to our listeners. Um, it's, it's the same story that I have, the same story that Larry Amyet has, uh, Daisy O'Dare, our other, uh, cohorts on the podcast eric i think you have a similar story and uh, casey why don't you why don't you tell us how you discovered diesel punk and you know kind of how you gravitated towards it well um it i i hope that what i i'm about to tell you now matches what i told you at dragon con um but for me it really came about um sort of a a, a confluence of of um influences, if you will. Um, I've always been a fan of uh, history. I've always been a fan of alternate history. And um, I I first became aware of the, insert modifier here, punk sort of uh, aesthetic uh, through steampunk, um, like I think a lot of people do. Um, but I'm an aviator. And uh, aviation, uh, more particularly, I'm a military aviator, and military aviation really did come of age in the World War II timeframe. Um, and uh, so, you know, when you're talking about uh, reciprocating engines, driving aircraft, and, um, you know, things with a little bit more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A little more oomph than, uh, than dirigibles, which, don't get me wrong, are very cool as well. Um, then you're sort of moving forward into that into that diesel aesthetic, um, which I just you know once I discovered it, I just found it fascinating and and um, and it really you know it really sort of uh, kind of opened the door to a lot of a lot of ideas and and concepts and and uh, really cool people that I that I've had the opportunity to meet. So it's been really fun uh, engaging in that world. And we're happy to have you. I mean, <laughs> it's it's exactly what. Um... What John and I are saying, we know that you're out there. We just have to find you and get the word out that you can be beautiful and you can be strong and intelligent at the same time. And the, one of the things I love about diesel punk women is that they, they are no mere shrinking violets or damsels in distress um, in the realm of diesel punk. Um, and I, I think that that's, that's one of the most positive messages to come out of, of this entire movement. Whereas we've seen great progress in one one direction, and a lot of things have that we love about the era is still strong and vibrant, like you know the uh, the jazz era aesthetic. So, mm-hmm. so I, I I have a feeling that after this podcast, you're also going to get a lot more fans than just Smitten John and myself. And I'm <laughs> I'm actually looking at you have I'm looking at your Twitter profile. Um, it, I I hope it's you, <laughs> and um, I, I'm uh, John. I'm going to tell you something. I think I found Carol's long lost sister, my wife Carol. Um, <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, you the two of you look um, strikingly similar. Um, so I I wonder if you two were just cut from the same cloth or something. So 
So uh, what I want to know is how, how did you get into aviation and then how did you get into writing? And you can take either one of those questions in, in whichever, um, whichever you'd like to answer first. So the really funny thing is that they're, they're incredibly linked. Um, when I was about seven years old, uh, I uh, was an early reader. Um, I taught myself to read when I was about four. And when I was about seven, I remember very clearly pestering my mother for something new to read. And I think just to shut me up, she put a copy of Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Drums into my hands. And, um, and that began my devouring of the whole Dragon Riders of Kern series, um, which made me, um, made me make two life-changing decisions. One was that I, um, I wanted to grow up to be a dragon rider. Um, and then the other was that uh, I really liked this type of story. I liked writing about fantasy and writing about science fiction, writing about things other than just, you know, sort of the way things are. Um, we would call it uh, maybe speculative fiction or, uh, or genre fiction at this point, but um, fiction where things aren't quite the way that they are in our everyday sort of normal world. Those were the stories that I had already been sort of concocting in my head and, and, and telling myself and, in act, you know, acting out in uh, when I would play with my friends. I was the bossy little girl who always told everyone what we were going to play and told them, you know, what roles <laughs> that they were going to fulfill on the playground. So, um, so you know, that, that just sort of dovetailed nicely into, uh, into writing um, fantasy and sci-fi um, and, and genre fiction. Um, as for being a dragon rider, it also became clear to me relatively quickly that uh, dragons uh, as such are in somewhat short supply on the earth that we live on. So I, uh, I attended an air show. Um, my parents were also active duty military and we were living overseas at the time. And I attended an air show and was watching um, the Air Force's aerial demonstration team, the Thunderbirds, perform. This was back in like 1986 or seven. And um, I had sort of an epiphany moment where it was like, well, it's not a dragon, but it's not life in two dimensions either. So maybe that's for me. So um, I didn't grow up to be a fighter pilot because uh, somewhere along the way, I discovered that helicopters are much, much cooler. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, so that's that's how those two things both came about from uh, from reading uh, Anne McCaffrey's uh, Harper Hall series of, of, uh, of books. Well, that that's fantastic. And so. <laughs> You were you were talking about um, some of the stuff that you've written, and you've got an upcoming uh, book that I thought was just a phenomenal concept. Oh, thank um, you. And and if you'll remember, after the panel, you were asking me, "Is this concept punk enough to to be diesel punk?" Sure, sure. And, and you remember my answer. It was absolutely it is. But let's let Eric decide. Share with us this, uh, this, new, uh, this new work that is coming. So um, my, this will be my first solo novel. Uh, it'll be released on November 10th of this year. Um, and it's called Minds of Men. And the concept is um, that on Earth, psychics have always existed. Um, but they've always been women, um, because I guess I'm sexist that way, but, uh, um, but, but they've been a very, very small part of the, of the population. Um, you know, 20 out of millions of people, for example. And so, um, in 1943, 
this this part is actual real history. In 1943, there was a group uh, called Eighth Air Force that was um, um, Army Air Corps originally, and then they became known as Army Air Forces um, bomber group flying B-17s that uh, were stationed out of England flying high-altitude daylight precision bombing runs on occupied Europe. Um, and their casualty rates were horrendous. Um, and uh, there was a very famous movie about it um, called Memphis Bell uh, that talked about the first one to actually make it through 25 combat missions um, and, and come home. Um, and uh, part of the reason for these high casualty rates was that in 1943, they didn't have a long-range fighter escort. So what the B-17, which the B-17's nickname was the Flying Fortress, what they would do is they would fly in very close formation so that the uh, defensive aerial gunners, which were positioned around the aircraft, thus giving it its name, the Flying Fortress, could provide fields of crossing fire for one another in the formation that would make the formation itself impenetrable to the enemy Luftwaffe fighters. Um, so the ways, the way that the um, Luftwaffe would attack is, is kind of like if you can imagine uh, a pack of wolves going after you know, a herd of, of bison, they would try to isolate one of the animals um, or in this case, one of the airplanes, and uh, and then once it was isolated, it was vulnerable and could be could be shot out of the sky. Um, flying close formation is incredibly difficult, and it's even more difficult when you don't have the sophisticated communications equipment that we as aviators enjoy today. Um, so um, when you couple that with the fact that they had incredibly primitive instrumentation uh, in terms of um, um, what we call instrument flight rules, which is where you fly by reference to your instruments versus by reference to outside. This is how you fly in bad weather, for example. Um, the they just didn't enjoy the the avionics that that we have today. And um, for me, as a pilot, to go up there and look at a, a restored B seventeen cockpit at what they had to work with, it's almost horrifying. Like I cannot imagine taking that aircraft into the sky let alone into the clouds, let alone into combat. Um, so the, this concept is that, you know, during those those dark days in 1943, when 8th Air Force was just really getting their behinds handed to them uh, because they didn't have the long-range fighter escort, um, among other things, as a sort of last-ditch, pull-out-all-the-stops effort, what if um, a particular high-ranking general in their chain of command knew about these these women and and their potential to be able to link minds uh, together in a communications network, and so instituted this uh, program where they recruit uh, up to and as I said, they got out of the millions of people that they that they searched through, they ended up with twenty uh, psychic women who were um, capable of of doing this kind of job. That they recruited them to come and fly on the B-17s as part of the aircrew. Um, essentially acting as human radios. And uh, so the story is is the story of Evelyn, who is one of these women, and what the effects of uh, the war are on her, you know, as she experiences it magnified 10 times, because not only does she experience it through her own senses, but when she's linked in with, you know, 10 other men on an air crew, she's experiencing it through all of their sensory uh, inputs as well. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, we... We talk about that, and then at a certain point, of course, they get shot down, and then they have to evade through occupied Europe, and it's uh, it becomes a bit of an adventure story at that point. I think that's punk. I think that's diesel punk. The reason I had some 
uh, question about it is because in my mind, I've always defined sort of the, the you know, blank punk genres as in, in two parts. That there has to be, uh, one is that there's um, some sort of recent change in technology, which certainly fits this time frame. you know, because um, with a world war, you have, of course, great advances in weapons technology, et cetera, et cetera. But then also that you have some sort of um, social change that is happening either as a result of or uh, parallel to that technological change, um, which did happen to a certain extent in World War II when you talk about like the, um, the social change that happened uh, on the home front when you have, you know, women going in to work in factories and, and you know, the way that that. Uh, at least in the in America. Now I, I recognize that everything I'm saying is very American centric, um, mm-hmm. but uh, but uh, you, you know those were definite social adjustments that had to be made um, based on this you know this great event. That was uh, but uh, but I didn't know I didn't know if if my story really dealt with that enough. You know what I mean? So no, that's I, why I had the question because no, I. Cause I uh, for me, in the issue that I've had with having this conversation um, about what is diesel punk, discussing and debating what is and what isn't diesel punk is a, a huge diesel punk group activity that we seem to enjoy sure. a, a quite often. Um, <laughs> it's it's a pastime. It's it's like um, Americans sports fans have a, 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 a football in the autumn, we have debating about what's diesel punk or not. Um, (laughs) I I think that whenever you start to look into the past, especially during the World War II era, and you change something about the history, um, whether it's complete and total um, uh, equality, or if it's like, what if, if, uh, yeah, the, the the complete equality between men and women, like if you're, if what would have happened if the woman women's right movement happened during the 30s and not the the, the 60s and the 70s what what would have happened mm-hmm. how could we have fought the war i think that would be a very interesting story a very awesome what if what if um everyday nuclear reactors that you see in adam punk was available during um world war ii what would that war look like that's that's an element of diesel punk i think what if like a man in the high castle what if the um nazis developed the atomic bomb before everybody else that is obviously sure. very obviously diesel bunk i mean when you think of especially the amazon series um shameful shamefully john pika is late to the party when it comes to man in the high castle um he dragged his feet to watch um but he binged watch hey i'm you caught I, up I've watched both seasons you caught up you caught up but you were late to the party um, well, because I didn't have Amazon. <laughs> excuses, excuses. But I mean, but there are all these like really great examples that we have, and we keep we keep sort of like I keep moving the goalpost so that's more inclusive. I wrote an yeah. ar- I wrote an article called "This Is Diesel Punk," and I made it absolutely, totally, perfectly clear is that if you like if you like the vintage style aesthetic of that era, um and you like to dress in period clothes, you can call yourself a diesel punk. If you are a World War II reenactor and you just so happen to forget to take off your Apple Watch or your or, or your cell phone, 
and you want to call yourself a diesel punk, you can call yourself a diesel punk. I I take issue with people who demand that there be very rigid definitions of what diesel punk is. And I get well, and go ahead, please. Oh, I was going to say, and and I agree with you. And to me, it's it it makes me laugh a little bit because one of the things, one of the hallmarks for me of any of the of the punk aesthetics, if you will, is the sort of um, uh, anti-authority attitude. You know, where it's like, well, you can't be diesel punk because you don't fit, you know, this checklist of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, no. I think the proper response to that probably begins with an F, <laughs> and, you know, because uh, it's it's punk. You don't get to tell me what I do, what I can and can't do. You know, <laughs> from what I understand, and I'm not sure it, how true this is or not, but at Dragon Con, there were people talking about the other article that I wrote, Requiem for Steampunk, whereas I said. We should stop calling steampunk steampunk because now they have authoritarian figures that are telling people what is and isn't steampunk. And and sort of people have built altars and churches and paid homages to these select individuals who are the proprietors and, and the oracles as it were of what is and wasn't and if you are if you submit to that authority it's not the, it's not punk anymore and for me yeah. punk has to be anti-authority so much to the point where it's like if you want to consider me as an authority on what diesel punk is I, brother brothers and sisters i i don't want that i don't want to be your messiah look look elsewhere um sure. And I think that that's the fight that we just keep having is because we keep trying to redefine where the goals are. And and because at least once or twice a week, we play this game on our on our Facebook group page. How is that diesel bunk where I get a random picture in my news feed and I show people on the group? It says, okay. According to somebody, this is diesel punk. How is this diesel punk? And then we have a conversation of whether or not it is or not, and it's a mental exercise. Um, for for me, what do you think is the greatest example of of, of diesel punk to come out of cinema in, in the past maybe forty years or fifty years? Uh, well, John has heard me say this, um, and uh, I'm sure that there there are those that that would disagree with me because while this is a work of fiction it is not a work of necessarily alternate history in terms of like the fantastic or anything um but uh one of my favorite movies of all time let alone examples of of diesel punk is uh is going to be kelly's heroes um, yeah. and again <laughs> again i'll say it's because it has the and the other thing too for me and this is this is somewhat one of the things that was attractive to me about diesel punk vice steampunk or you know or cyberpunk or anything like that. One of the things I think that was most attractive about it is that diesel, by definition, at least in my mind, is a little dirty. Yep. It's a little bit grittier. Um, maybe that's just because diesel itself stinks when you burn it. You know, it has that very distinctive um, scent that, um, which uh, jet fuel, you know, that I use when I fly my helicopters is is a form of diesel fuel. So it's, you know, to me, it smells like aviation and work. And, um, but it is, it's gritty and it's dirty and it's, it's, um, a lot of those things are very attractive to me. And, and that movie, Kelly's Heroes in particular, um, 
really exemplifies that. You know, it's this is a story of men who are accidental heroes mm-hmm. <laughs> who are out for only themselves and they end up, um, you know, sparking an action that that uh, we're led to believe could turn the tide for the allies in the war, you know? So, um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I, I love that. And not just because oddball is my spirit. Well, I'll tell you, um, one of our co-hosts, uh, Larry Emya, is singing hallelujah right now because <laughs> he he holds up Kelly's Heroes as a prime example of the celebration of the anti-hero yes. that is, you know, one of the possible uh, one of the possible expressions of punk in diesel punk. And a lot of people have taken issue with him on that. Um, a lot of, you know, people like, quote unquote, in the, com- you know, in the community um, have, 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 you know, said, no, that, that, that just doesn't fly. Right. And uh, you, you pretty much validated him. So uh, he, well, he's going to be <laughs> dancing a jig. <laughs> well, I'm sure there are those who would, would be happy to shout me down right now too, but they don't happen to be on this podcast. So no, they they aren't, and um, we and don't that's care okay. about those and people. That's okay. and can you believe though, Eric? I have never seen Kelly's Heroes. What? Oh my I gosh! Know. Holy! I know. Oh my! Oh, I know. I, I'm telling you, it's you know what? My 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 father passed away this past uh, June. I bet you right now he is crawling out of his grave, and and you're gonna see this 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 bald stooge with his giant Levi jeans belt buckle coming at you, saying, "Must watch Kelly's Heroes." <laughs> Damn it, you didn't watch us. I mean, I, and and the thing is, it is like I mean, I can mock my father right now because because <laughs> I can. <laughs> but it was just like um, flipping through the channels, and it's like if it's on, it's like one of those movies where it's if it's on, you're watching it. Sit down, Stop it. Yep. sit down, Stop. shut up, go to the kitchen, yep. get me some triscuits and blue cheese. I'm watching Kelly's Heroes. <laughs> yep. Yep. If it was well, on- yeah, I've I've never seen Kelly's Heroes, but I have seen Hogan's Heroes. That is the perfect example of diesel punk television. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. And and I can't imagine I, I can't imagine anybody not watching that show or watching it and not understanding that that is the definition of of diesel punk there. Um oh, and one of the things that I have been enjoying lately is I'm I'm rereading and now reviewing all of the books by Alan First, which is about um, the resistance movement uh, against the Nazis from the perspective of other peoples in other parts of of Europe. And oh, very cool. These are essential books, and one of the books I read um, recently and just reviewed, Blood of Victory, ha- has a very sort of Kelly's Heroes vibe to it because you have these guys who are accidental heroes as it were and and sort of like this is about a bunch of colorful characters trying trying to block or clog up the the supply lines through the danube river to get the oil and and it's it's almost as if what if the criminal element had to step in and sort of do what they do 
against the Nazis and they became heroes. And if it wasn't for the war, what would they be doing? Would they be penalized right. for doing the same exact thing? I don't know. The, you know, the um, so uh, for the latter half of my book, Minds of Men, um, uh, the there I did a lot of research into uh, the uh, resistance led escape lines that were running all throughout occupied Europe that functioned to take downed allied airmen and essentially smuggle them um, usually into Spain, but sometimes off the coast where they would be met by by British warships yeah. um, so yeah. that they could be repatriated. And uh, the. Um, fascinating work um the one of the probably the best book that i read was um a work called uh, little cyclone by airy neve airy neve and i'm probably saying his name wrong so i apologize to anyone who knows differently but um he was actually uh an mi9 operative um in world war ii and was responsible for coordinating a lot of these efforts and the book is about a, a young woman um by the name of um well, her, her nom de guerre was Didi, um, but her name was Andre de Jong. And she was about 25 years old, I think, when she started. And she was the organizer and head of the longest and largest uh, escape line called the Comet Line, which um, basically ran from Brussels, Belgium, all the way down over the Pyrenees uh, into uh, Spain. Um, and, you know, doing doing research into into, you know, the stories of these airmen and the, and the resistance helpers that would, you know, hide them and smuggle them and, um, you know, treat them because a lot of them were injured. You know, when you, uh, bailing out of an aircraft is, is not a gentle thing under the best of circumstances, but when the aircraft is on fire and possibly spinning out of control, it, it gets really violent. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, so a lot of these, you know, a lot of these guys were hurt and, and, um, there are many, many stories of really just great stories of, of sacrifice and um, incredible, incredible bravery on the part of these, of these resistance helpers who were sheltering these airmen. Um, but the reason I brought this up is that there's a great story that didn't come from the Comet line. It came from one of the other escape lines that I um, shamelessly lifted and inserted into my own narrative about um, a there was a gentleman who was, he was a mechanic and he, um, because he was, he was self-employed as a mechanic um, and he had a pass from the Wehrmacht to travel after dark, after curfew, because he would travel, you know, and do maintenance for the, the Wehrmacht's um, vehicles. And uh, he would smuggle some of these airmen in his truck um, to uh, a place called Bonaparte Beach, where they would, um, this was one of the places where they tried to do one of the where they tried to do the seaborne rescues from, and he um, at one point he was stopped with three of the Allied airmen in his truck, and they were stopped by two local gendarmes, and um, the the two policemen uh, who were French policemen um, stopped them and caught you know basically caught them and said, hey, wh what are you doing? Why are you you know you're smuggling contraband, aren't you? And um, this the story was told originally in the in the original um, reference work that I read um, from the point of view of one of the airmen who was saying that they were all prepared to try and attack these these two um, police officers and kill them with their bare hands um, when uh, when the driver uh, this mechanic um, just up and told him the truth and said these are these are allied airmen I'm taking them to be rescued and um, just happened that those two French police officers were patriots. Um, and so they just let them go on about their way and do their thing. Um, 
And that's the kind of like that, that sort of application of anti-authority is really, really attractive to me when we're talking about this sort of diesel punk um, aesthetic in this context of uh, World War II. Can I ask you a question about your um, sense of anti-authoritarianism? Sure. And being in the military, and I mean, obviously you have to follow rules and and have to follow orders. How were you able to balance those two? So um, I'm going to answer this somewhat indirectly. Okay. Uh, so I'm a helicopter pilot. And... Um, when you have a moment after this is done, uh, I want you to go look up something for me. Go Google, quote, why helicopter pilots are different, unquote, by Harry Reasoner, R-E-A-S-O-N-E-R. It's a very famous quote, um, and uh, it's I, I think it'll be somewhat illuminating. But in addition to what you'll find in that quote, uh, we have a our flight manual, we call it our dash one, is it's like the like the driver's manual for the helicopter, right? And on the very first page, in the very first paragraph, it says in plain language that nothing in this manual is a substitute for sound judgment. Basically, I am empowered as an aircraft commander to do what I need to do to save my life, the life of my crew and passengers, if even down to and including breaking the rules if it's necessary. So, um, if you know, if life were a a D and D game, uh, I would consider myself to be uh, chaotic good. And I think I look around at my my peers that are in the helicopter community, um, and and in military aviation overall. And I think a lot of us have that same sort of sensibility because there's just too many variables to write a checklist for every situation that you're going to encounter in aviation. So we're trained to assess the situation apply the procedures that you've learned. But if that doesn't work, or if nothing truly applies, you do what you have to do, you know, to, to give it your best shot. That's, that's a perfect answer. And as a matter of fact, uh, I'm looking at it right now. And I, I think that for the show page, I'm, I'm definitely going to feature that quote. Um, I think that, it, I think it's, it's amazing how, um, you can be so regimented one minute, and then the next minute, hey, listen, you know, th- throw the, throw the, the the rule book out, and we have to accomplish like we got to we got to we got to do this thing, whatever this thing right. is. And it was right. just like by any means necessary. Um, and I think that right there in itself is also, I think, that one of the spirits of diesel punk that we need to kind of sort of focus on because. Um, one of the things is like sort of like we run into in modern society is, is that to cover your butt, you have to strictly adhere to the letter, the letter and the spirit of the law at the same time. And there really is no sort of room for spontaneous thought. Um, or I think maybe we're getting that back. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I, I think that that's amazing philosophy. Um, so, by the way, we hear a little one in the background. Yes, uh, I'm, I apologize for that. My four-year-old is upstairs, and my husband is uh, being a hero trying to keep her quiet. But <laughs> oh no, that's a, that's she's okay. resisting. <laughs> just adding, just adding more ambiance. I mean, the thing is, is that you're a writer, a mother, a helicopter pilot. 
Are you and Wonder also, Woman? Are yeah. you Wonder Woman? Are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not even close. But I did love the movie. <laughs> so so um, another question that I would like to ask you is that, I mean, obviously you consume a lot of media. How do you think that the media gets it right and gets it wrong as portraying women who are who are just strong heroic figures? Um. So there, the portrayals that are out there are so myriad. It's hard for me to give a unilateral answer to this question. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that the the trope of strong female character with capital letters, um, is, uh, has become somewhat tiresome when it becomes a checklist item to include in the story in order to sell the story, if that makes sense. Um, if it makes sense for a female character to be a part of the story and it's a good story, then that's great. If it makes sense for that character to be strong and strong willed, then that's great. If it feels like you just threw a quote unquote capital letters, strong female character in there so that it would appeal to, you know, X part of the market that feels fake and it doesn't feel authentic and it doesn't feel like, you know, the the characters and the story have to be organic to each other. You can't, you can't force that. Um, And uh, so, so that, so that's sort of, I guess, the downside. Um, one of the things that I do appreciate when I see it, and it, I don't always see it, but um, probably the most recent example, and there's there's probably more than this, but um, the story of Cinderella mm-hmm. has always intrigued me because Cinderella is not a badass, kick-ass, you know, the traditional story. She's not a badass, kick-ass character, right? She's a character whose strength lies entirely in her ability to endure and to refuse to let herself be embittered and soured and made mean by the meanness of others around her. And that, I think, is a type of strength that is not nearly as celebrated as it, as it should be. Um, but but it's incredibly inspiring. Uh, That's an interesting it. perspective. By the way, that movie is one of my uh, favorite recent movies. Um, who, who, who is it that played the stepmother? Was that Kate Blanchett? Yes. Yes. She was so good. She was so good. And, and with her green dresses. (laughs) Well, did you notice that the style of her dresses was completely different from the rest of the, uh, you know, kind of, uh, fairy tale. Yes. Pseudo Victorian era. She was doing art deco styling. She was. Yes. Yes, yeah. and it was, and it was very. Um, I, I think that the costume designer did an amazing job of making her point that that you know, obviously it was designed to make this character stand out as um, you know a jealous character, but with all the, the you know symbolism of the color green, um, but uh, um, but also a character who sort of had her own edge. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that that's another th- great thing, whereas a lot of people um, don't appreciate as much as they should, is that um, uh, costume designers have so much more um, responsibility than we give them credit for, because uh, every costume 
it has to have it has to hit a couple of specific points or specific notes. It has yeah. to be you, the clothes have to let the audience know or inform the audience something about the character that right. Um, and the thing is, is that it also has to look like something that an audience member might actually want to wear. It's not enough that, you know, the main character of, of a movie is wearing, quote, practical clothes or, or whatever, but it has to be like, oh, man, I got to get that jacket. I, I, I got to get that. Yeah. I got to get that fedora. I got to get all, you know, that. Um, right. And, and that, I'm sure that that's tough, whereas is you have to do both things at the same time or go to the other extreme, whereas is like it must look very uncomfortable. So if the clothes look uncomfortable, that's sort of you understand why that person's a villain. I, it doesn't make sure. sense. I don't know. Yeah, it does. It does. Well, you know, that's interesting that you say that, Eric, because one of the movies that I was uh, sharing with uh, Casey after the, the, uh, after the panel, and I don't know if you remember this, Casey, it's a, it's a horrible movie with an awesome concept. Uh, I do um, remember you talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. P51 Mustang Dragon Fighter. And it's World War <laughs> it's it's World yep. War Two. And and the Nazis have have recruited these witches to revive dragons and control them psychically. And the, the aerial fights with the the P fifty ones and the the dragons are great. Special effects are awesome. The rest of the movie is quite honestly a piece of crap. And one of the reasons is because the costume budget was like non-existent. Yeah. L look, you can't have Nazis in ill-fitted uniforms. <laughs> right. Right. You, yeah. you, they were designed and, by and, Hugo Boss, for goodness sake. <laughs> that's right. And and you can't and you can't have a Nazi officer in an incomplete uniform. Yeah. Not you, without some good reason for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 what was so funny about this movie is that even even the simplest costumes like the American servicemen, um, they were so they were so mismatched. Like they had come from different uh thrift shops, you know, sure. you could tell. Yeah. And it just oh it ruined the illusion completely. But um Anyway, we, we, we're not here to talk about costuming. I had a, I had a question for you, Casey. Mm -hmm. Kind of segueing into a little bit different topic of discussion. Um, but, but your input here is valuable because you were a, an attendee and a panelist at Dragon Con. And this was my first year attending. And I was only able to attend that one day on Saturday. Um, but looking at the alt history... Uh, lineup, and and look, I've been trying to get booked at DragonCon for years, um, but looking at the alt history lineup, there was only one panel that was specifically labeled as a diesel punk panel, mm -hmm. and that was that was the one that I sat in with you. Um, you know, they had a man in the high castle panel, and they had a uh, a weapons of war panel, uh, I believe. Um, but, you know, specifically focus on diesel punk, only the one. And I was a little bit disappointed by that. Um, a few things that uh, Enrique has written 
since then kind of clues us into to why that might be. But I was just curious, you know, one of the questions that came up in your panel was, and I think this was by your one of your co-writers, was why is mainstream media afraid of diesel punk or maybe the anacro punk genres but my question for you would be is dragon con afraid of diesel punk so full disclosure two things here number one i love 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 dragon con it is my super bowl um it is my new year's eve it is my mardi gras all rolled into one i've been going this was my 12th time attending and i i cannot get enough of it um, secondly, um, this, so this was my second year attending as a professional performer or a professional, not performer, but, uh, attending professional is the term that they use. And, um, and so it was my, my second year being booked for programming like the panels, um, from my perspective as a attending pro and a panelist, I will say that I have had nothing but great things to say about really all the tracks that I was involved with, but in particular, the alt history track. Now I am also, um, I'm also friends with Enrique, AKA Dr. Q, who's the track director. So, um, if I did have any problems with, with the track, I would, uh, um, I would have sort of recourse to our, our personal friendship, uh, in, in terms of addressing it. So that definitely colors my perception as well. Um, but I will say that from what I've seen, and I'm not privy to the inner workings of, of the track itself and how they choose which panels and what, and what they schedule. From what I've seen, um, Dr. Q's very, he's very responsive to the feedback that he gets from sort of his audience or, or his attendees. And, and I don't mean attending professionals. I mean, you know, the people who go to Dragon Con to, to sit in panels and listen. Um, he, uh, in the months leading up to um, Dragon Con, when they when all of the tracks were setting their schedules and and deciding on their programming, I can't count the number of polls and and interest counts and requests for pitches that that he that he actually um, sent out. Now, most of this was was that I saw at least took place on Facebook, and I don't know if it took place on other media, um, or through other means, um, because that's just, we're friends and we're, and we keep in touch through Facebook. So that's how I'm able to, to, um, to interact with him in that, in that way. Um, so I would say that I don't think, I, I don't think at all that, that, um, Dragon Con is afraid of diesel punk. I think that less, I think that steampunk sort of still kind of dominates the alt history um, mind collectively, if that makes sense. Most people, when they say alternate history, that's immediately what they start to think of. Um, and I I think that if we want to do more diesel punk 
um, if we want to see more diesel punk types of things, we need to do exactly what what we're doing right here with this podcast mm-hmm. and with, you know, telling stories that are set in a diesel punk aesthetic and, um, you know, telling everyone to buy my book, which is a diesel punk book. <laughs> there will be a link <laughs> to know? the book on zero self interest the there, of course. But, <laughs> there will be a link to the on. But, you the know book. what I'm saying? Yeah. There will be a link to your book on the Fedora Chronicles page. <laughs> I will tell you right now. And I think that I just. I just think that that it's. I I just think that not as many. um, Maybe diesel punk isn't isn't as as it's just not as prevalent in in people's minds when they think of fault history as you know as steampunk is. Well, so that that's interesting because you know one of the things that we discussed was how, and I make this claim all the time to my alt history and macro punk fans and friends, (laughs) is that. Okay, so in the in the geek culture world, so the Comic Con, Dragon Con, you know that that sort of world. Yes, steampunk has been the top dog, but when you look at mainstream media, the Hollywood movies that we can list off that have that diesel punk aesthetic, um, or out and out qualify as diesel punk is a pretty lengthy list and keeps getting longer and longer. And we're not seeing those aesthetics being the, the steampunk aesthetics being embraced by mainstream entertainment, mainstream Hollywood and television studios. And so I get, I get a little bit flustered when, and look, I, I, I love the idea of steampunk, but I get flustered when we don't we're not able to get hollywood to actually use the term diesel punk right that that's one thing separate in and of itself but but you know when comic cons and festivals are still not recognizing the the just sheer volume of material that is out there in in pop culture so I would say that that right there sounds like an amazing premise for a panel that you should totally pitch to do next year. Well, no, because we've already, I would definitely yeah. go to that. <laughs> no, no, we've done that. I mean, the thing is, is yeah. that Enrique um, um, has reached out to me and asked, do I want to do a panel on on diesel punk? And I said, I'll, I'll be there if I have to walk. I'll I'm going to be there. So yeah. right now, I'm telling you right now, I we are going on the record for saying that's one of the breaking, that's one of the things that I wanted to mention in, in, in sort of like the breaking news segment um, of the show. Because um, John and I are actually making an effort to show up as, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the Fedora Chronicles webpage and the Diesel Punk podcasts. Um, we, we're, we're, show, we're showing up to these events and, and I am working on a presentation right now about about what is diesel punk um and, and that's outstanding well thank you very much and i think that one of the aspects of of this of my seminar is it's important to remember the dreams and the aspirations and the fears of prior generations especially my grandfather's generation um mm-hmm. what what was what were they aspiring to what was the fantasy and science fiction of 
his generation and why is it so important to keep focus on on that and there are so many books out there that people just do not seem to realize that that they that they are diesel punk um this past summer i also was rereading some of isaac asimov's foundation novels and a lot of it really does it comes off as being either diesel punk or atom punk set in in the the far off future and also reads like film noir with with scott brick uh doing the reading i don't know if you guys are you're huge into audiobooks but scott brick scott brick turns makes everything sound like it's it's film noir he's awesome that's outstanding too. I, uh, I also have a soft spot for noir, and I love. That's one of the other things that I love about the diesel punk aesthetic is that how easily it dovetails into, uh, into noir and the and the the hallmarks of the the noir genre and the, you know, and the hard boiled genre. You know, the two of them together. So, sorry, little digression there. No, it's not a problem. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, very cool. Well, um, I know that uh, Eric and I have got to wrap up early tonight, but uh, Casey, is there anything that you want to uh, leave with our listening audience? You've got an audience of uh, about 15,000 people going to be listening to you. So um, how can they find your book? Well, um, so it'll be released on November 10th um, via Amazon uh, primarily. Um, and it's called Minds of Men, and uh, it is published by Theogony Press. And um, my name is Casey Ezel, and you can find me at www.caseyezel.net. And um, there on my website, if you're interested in my work, uh, there's a mailing list that I highly encourage people to sign up for because all of my news and releases will come there first. Um, and to include like new cover art and uh, um, announcements about upcoming work and things of that nature. Plus, you also get a uh, a free sample chapter of a um, science fiction work that I am uh, I'm currently working on too. If you sign up for my mailing list, so so go check that out if that sounds interesting. And uh, I'm also on Facebook at Casey Ezel. Um, that's my author page, and I encourage you to uh, stop by and say hi. You can also find her by going to my Twitter page, um, Fedora Chronicle. They wouldn't allow me to have the yes. Um, go to um, at um, Fedora Chronicle on Twitter and just check out my my following list. I'm following her now, and you should be too. If, when you're listening to this right now, um, yeah, I, I am talking to you. <laughs> yes, you. Um, Put down the coffee cup and go follow this woman. She is incredible. And you're going to be hearing a lot more from her um, through through other other media. Um, she's, she's the genuine article. Well, thanks so much, guys. I really enjoyed talking to you. We have enjoyed having you. And um, you're welcome to hang out as we wrap up. Or if you need to sign off and go take care of the little one. <laughs> Please do what you need to do. But we really appreciate you being with us. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, I do. It's uh, it's about bedtime, so I'm going to go help out with that. Um, but you guys have a great night. Thank you so much. And uh, I can't wait to hear this episode when it airs. Excellent. Talk to you soon. Take Bye. care. Well, Eric, that was a lot of fun. She yes. She is a, a real delight. And um, I can't wait to... Uh, Connect with her in person again at, at a con near you. 
no, somewhere. A con near uh, you. A con near you. Because we're going to Dragon Con. Well, we are. We are. And and um, I'll, I'll be going back, whether I'm an attending professional or not. Um, I'll, I'll be there uh, cheering you on anyway. Um, and, you know, I would love it if our fans who are listening would, uh, you know, drop a note to Dragon Con and let them know, hey, uh, you got Eric Fisk coming in. You know, make sure you bring Johnny in too. Big Daddy Cool and the Bombshell Kittens. You guys need entertainment. Now, come on. <laughs> That's We need your help from uh, our fans to get those things to happen. They, they do respond to, uh, to fan demand. As it were, so, so that would be fantastic. But um, you know, we'll, I'll be attending a lot more cons throughout the year, um, and I know that uh, Eric, when you can, you you like to get out to the festivals and the conventions that you can get to. Um, upcoming immediately, though, October sixth is Imaginarium in Louisville, Kentucky, at the uh, Ramada Plaza airport hotel and imaginarium is a speculative fiction convention it is specifically for writers authors and fans of speculative uh, fiction to get together and uh to learn from each other to collaborate uh network all of that fun stuff uh big daddy cool and the bombshell kittens will be performing friday night we'll be doing our magic cabaret show it's a Diesel Punk Magic and Variety Review. Then uh, all day Saturday, I'm doing panels on uh, Diesel Punk 101. Uh, I'll be doing um, Unleash Your Superpowers. I'll be basically, I'm teaching magic, Eric, uh, that looks like superhuman abilities. That, yeah, so that's awesome for you. I uh, I have an event coming up in um, uh, November, November fourth. Actually, uh, I'm going to um, be doing some interviews at the Pulp Adventure Con in um, Bordentown, New Jersey, at the Ramada Inn, uh, November fourth. I said November fourth, didn't I? Um, and that's going to you did. That's going to be running um, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. There is a chance the night before at the Ramada Inn, um, I might be doing a roundtable with uh, local authors, artists, and um, collectors in the diesel punk realm. Um, and uh, just a couple of couple of um, retrocentrics sitting around, having a couple of drinks, and just take going wherever the conversation will lead us. So again, that's November 4th. Uh, 2017, Bordentown, New Jersey at the Ramada Inn. So I will be there, and I encourage everybody um, in the tri-state area, um, uh, New York, New Jersey, what's what's the other one? Um, be there. Be there or be square. <laughs> so that's it. So Yeah. We get, and, and, that's, and that's only, that's the only um, uh, thing that I can confirm right now that that I'm going to be there and um and John and I are working hard to uh get together at Dragon Con next year. Um and we we got, we got some other things in the pipeline, but we can't share with them yet because we don't have confirmations. That that's right. That's right. Um of course, you know, um there are other cons coming up. I'll be back at Hypericon, Rathacon, um 
uh, and NACROCON, I'm going down there in February. So we'll talk more about those as those come up. But uh, yeah, immediately come see Eric and I uh, separately and maybe together. You never can tell. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, come out October 6th through the 8th to Imaginarium in Louisville, Kentucky at the Ramada Plaza uh, Airport. And then November 4th, go see Eric at the Ramada. That's an odd coincidence, isn't it? I, um, I, I, it's synchronicity. Walt Schnabel will tell you that's, that's synchronicity there. Yeah, so, so you can get your diesel punk fix whether you're in middle America or in new england or or well new jersey <laughs> so the tri-state area um that that would be fantastic come out and see us say hi uh i don't know about you uh eric but i always take i always take a microphone and uh am ready to record a podcast episode from the floor of the convention and uh, i'll be doing that um there's actually a specific time I'm doing that, and it's on the schedule. So you can come by and be a part of the show. When you see the microphone up, you you can jump in and join in. So uh, we welcome that. And I'm sure you're going to be doing much of the same, Eric. Pretty much, much of the same. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the show on the road. Um, I'm putting everything in the back of the uh, back of the uh, Fedora Chronicles mobile, the, uh, the Ford Flex, and we're just going to... Uh, Go out there and uh, interview as many people. We're also going to be taking the show on the road um, very, very shortly. Uh, John, did you also mention that if you, if if the listeners have a convention that they're that they're really into that's near them, let us know. Maybe we can make it to that. We want to bring our our diesel punk seminar to them if it's at all possible. Contact yeah. Who, Whoever runs your, your your convention, say, "Hey, bring Eric and John over. We we gotta have that, and we're gonna bring some special guests, hopefully." Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of different things that uh, we can offer, not just as uh, broadcasters and, and you know media presence, but as panelists doing workshops and, of course, uh, providing entertainment. Um, you, you know, that's that's how we get into a lot of conventions. Eric is. You know, I'll be hired to be an MC or or to do an evening of entertainment with Big Daddy Cool and the Bombshell Kittens. And then, you know, hey, that transitions really naturally to, hey, while I'm here, let's do Diesel Punk 101. Let's do Steampunk versus Diesel Punk. Let's do, uh, you know, some of these uh, great workshops and panels. And um, And if you have a connection with a local con and you want to put in a word or better yet, send us the info contact info and Eric and I'll reach out to them. We'll negotiate the deal. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll give you a special, uh, a special, uh, mention a kudos on air for helping make that happen. And, um, that would be great. And that would be really great. Absolutely. And, and Hey, listen, we could do lunch. If you get us in the convention, lunch could be on me or John. Or, hey, you know, there's that that nearly world famous or is it infamous bombshell kitten skinny dip party. I'm just saying. Uh, uh, Hey, 
you know, we'll see what happens. But we promise you, we will definitely reward our listeners for getting us in in get us in the Absolutely. show. Absolutely. Absolutely, we will. All right. So anyway, it's been it, it it's been a really awesome show. Uh, so it, John, if you got any other news, um, I, I want you to take it. I want you to take it away and close the show. You know, there's always news happening. There's always news popping, and uh, that's why you got to be tuned in to us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, on Facebook, Diesel punk podcast and fedora chronicles and of course our group diesel punks uh the official forum if you will of dieselpunks.org um follow us on twitter uh at diesel podcast and at fedora chronicle and and uh you know subscribe follow us uh you know uh on our web web pages uh dieselpunkpodcast.com, fedorachronicles.com, bigdaddycoolshows.com, and there is always going to be something exciting happening almost on a daily basis, Eric. We we have news and, and are sharing tidbits, things from the Diesel Punk tip line that uh, you're not going to get anywhere else, really. Um, and, and one of the cool things, too, at Diesel Punk Podcast dot com we we syndicate the fedora chronicles and we syndicate uh bonsart's um radio retro future and this week's episode of radio retro future is an interview with jamie stegmeyer the creator of the tabletop board game scythe oh wow and uh yeah really really great interview uh, you can listen to it in your car through the podcast uh, or, you know, watch Bonsart's uh, video on YouTube. But uh, we know a lot of our, our fans are listening uh, on commutes to work and, you know, while you're working out. And so you can check out that interview. It just went live today. So uh, that's out there. And then, uh, you know, drop us a line. Let us know what you think. Um, you know, if you have news or, or if you have a tip for us. You know, I'm a big fan of comic books. And, and if you think there's a comic book that Johnny needs to be hep to, you know, drop us a line. Let us know um, if there's a, you know, if there's a, a men's fashion magazine or, or tickets to fashion week that Eric needs to have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> drop him a line. You know, let, let us know what what you're uh, finding out there, too. That would be fantastic. It's a way that you can support us and support the community and help push diesel punk further down the road. Yeah. And we want to promote you. We want to promote. That's right. If you're a diesel punk and you are creating content, we want to promote you. So send us your media. Let us know. We'll put put up banners for you. Um, We'll get the word out. Come on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Johnny, we're going to we're going to sign out. I'm going to say keep your chin up and your fedoras on and you say swing hard, swing off and we'll catch you on the flip side. Good night, folks. This has been another episode of the Fedora Chronicles radio show. You can learn more about us, our guests and our topics by going to the Fedora Chronicles homepage thefedorachronicles.com and click the link or the banner for the radio show. 
Be sure to check out our supporters and friends of the show who keep this podcast going. Trinity Whip Company. There is no cure for whip addiction, only treatment. More whips. Handcrafted by Blake Burning, www.trinitywhipco.com. Modern Vintage Menswear by Chester Cordite. Browse through and order our range of modern vintage menswear, including suits, shirts, and ties, inspired by the 1930s and 40s. ChesterCordite.com Landrin Artifacts, amazing wall reliefs inspired by ancient artifacts, a must-have for every fedora-wearing adventurer and explorers of the supernatural and paranormal. LandrinArtifacts.com Be sure to also check out Penman Hats, handcrafted fedoras essential for all of our listeners and their everyday wear. PenmanHats.com Also, Reconstructing History, our favorite supplier of vintage patterns for clothes from the jazz era. ReconstructingHistory.com Once again, you can click on all of these links on the Fedora Chronicles main page. So until next time, this is Eric Render King Fisk signing off. Keep your chins up and your fedoras on.